Father in heaven, I thank you again for this opportunity we have to come and study your word. Lord, I pray that you would please be with us. Guide us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us into all truth. And Lord, as we open your word, as we read your words, I pray that you would please speak to each of our hearts. Help us to come up higher today. Lead us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, welcome back again, friends. This evening, we are continuing our series on the wilderness wanderings, and our title for our study tonight is Sinning Against Ourselves. The last time we looked at the story of Balaam, and he was a prophet of God, but he got caught up with the glittering and the riches of this world. And when Balak, the king of Moab, came along to ask him to curse the children of Israel, and he promised great riches and rewards, Balaam went along. However, he was unsuccessful in his attempt to curse the children of Israel. Every time he opened his mouth, out came a blessing instead of a curse. God was that wall of protection around the children of Israel. Any attacks against them, God was there with them. No one could do them any harm so long as they were faithful to God. But now Satan, he would work in a different manner to bring the curse of God upon themselves. Let's read in our first text this evening in Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1. The Bible says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. You see, King Balak of Moab, he could not curse the children of Israel. However, he sent women in to seduce them, to commit sin, to commit adultery and fornication. And how did they get to this point? of being able, well, not being able to, to commit fornication with the women of Moab. You see, the next verse actually gives us a clue. Let's continue reading in verse 2 of Numbers 25. The Bible says, And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. So you see, first, they invited them to this festival of sacrificing to their gods. And it seemed harmless because they were just sitting there. They were just eating together. And it appeared more like a social event rather than a religious event. Or, you know, they weren't worshipping and bowing down to their gods. They didn't believe in their gods. And so, you know, it was just a festival. And they were just fellowshipping, socializing together. I think fellowshipping is more of a, a religious word. But they were just socializing together. But you see, friends, we ought to be careful whom we choose as our associates, who, who we, we, we hang out with. And harmless as it may seem, the people whom we choose to keep company with, the people that we choose to be friends with, they will sooner or later affect us. This is the law of life. The, the, there's a saying that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your character. You see, the Bible counsels us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? 
you know, sometimes we use this, use this just as in terms of relationships, right? And we, we shouldn't be unequally out together with unbelievers. We should choose people of the same faith. But this goes also with friends. I mean, how did a person get unequally yoked with an unbeliever in the first place? They were friends with them at the beginning, you see. And look, I'm not saying that we can't be their friends at all. But we ought to be careful whom we choose to be the inner circle of our friends. Those ones that we go to counsel for. Those ones that we hang out with all the time. Those ones whom we choose to to just be with and, and let them even know the inner secrets and workings of our own lives. You see, sometimes we, we choose friends because we are lonely and so we will adapt. But as Christians, if we are to be friends with the world, if we are to have friends that are not of the same faith, it's not that we should be bad friends, but we should be recognizing that we ought to be the blessing to them. We should be the influence to them and make sure that they don't become the influence to us. But these women, they came in and they were sacrificing to the festival of their gods and the children of Israel, they let their God down. And before they knew it, the Israelites, they were committing fornication. They were committing whoredom. They were jumping into bed with them. Of course, the women that that came from Moab and from Midian, they had an agenda. They had a purpose and a plan. But the Israelites, they went on their guard. And friends, we ought to be careful at any time no matter who it is, sometimes even within the church, because sometimes there are are different Christians with different standards. We ought to be careful. We always have to have our antennas up. But coming back to this story, judgment would come quickly from God. Let's keep reading. Numbers 25, verses 3 through 5. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people, hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his man, men that were joined unto Baal pure. Those that committed this terrible sin were visited with swift punishment, and they paid for it with their lives. The judges of Israel, they were instructed to slay all those that were caught up with this act of vice. However, whilst in the midst of all that was going on with this punishment and and people were being slain left and right, look at what happens next. Let's keep reading. Numbers 25 verse 6. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle and of the congregation. While God was visiting swift judgment upon the transgressors, upon those that were rebellious, that were caught up with this vice, a man of Israel, whilst everyone were, were, were praying and had their faces bowed down to the ground and asking God to forgive them and they were repenting, a man of Israel went and brought a Midianitish woman into his tent to commit this terrible sin while Moses even was interceding for everyone. 
it was a clear act of rebellion against Moses, against God, and utter disregard for the judgments that were being poured out. This man was not afraid. He did not care. He was just caught up and the lust of his heart were burning up for this woman. He was just blinded to all that was taking place around him. And you know, friends, where did this Midianitish woman come from, though? I I thought that Balak was the king of Moab, right? But you see, friends, you remember that when Balak sent some princes to go and visit Balaam, it wasn't just from his own kingdom, the kingdom of Moab. It wasn't just the Moabites that came with this this promises of rich reward. Let's go back to Numbers 22 and verse 7. Look at this. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. Do you see that, friends? The elders of who? The elders of Moab and also the elders of Midian. They came together, two different countries, two different tribes, to invite Balaam to help them. And so it would be the children, well, the women of Moab and also the women of Midian that would come and tempt the men to commit fornication, to commit sexual immorality in Numbers chapter 25. However, coming back to the story, so as soon as the leaders, they they, they see this Israelitish man, this Israelite man, he brings this Midianitish woman into his tent. What happens next? Let's go back to Numbers 25, now verses 7 to 9. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. Phineas, who was the son of Aaron, the high priest, he would run after this Israelite man and Midianitish woman and slay both of them. And as a result, God's plague was stopped, but not before it had killed twenty-four thousand of them. You see, Balak, he didn't need someone to come and curse the children of Israel directly. All he needed was to lure the children of Israel into sin and God's protecting care would be taken away from them and even a plague would come upon them. You know, friends, Satan cannot overthrow any saint, no matter how weak they are, if they are a child of God and hidden Christ. You might think that, oh, my my faith is not like King David, or it's not even like Paul or Peter. But friends, if our lives are hidden in Christ, if we are walking with Jesus, if we are faithful to him in every regard, we need not be afraid. For all the host of heaven, all the mighty forces of heaven will be sent to guard us. When we are in danger, when we, we, we put ourselves rather in danger and walk away from God's protection, this is where Satan can and will overcome each and every one of us. God is much stronger, yes, but we must be willing always to be placed in his protecting care. And you know, 
in this story, the Bible actually gives the names of the Israelite man and the Midianitish woman that Phineas slew. It gives us some really interesting and important lessons. For some reason, it decided to mention their names, and, and names are important in the Bible. It is, and even today as well. What are these names? Let's have a look. Numbers 25, verses 14 and 15. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianitish woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, the prince, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. So the man's name was Zimri. And then in verse 15, and the name of the Midianitish woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head over a people and a chief of the house in Midian. So what were the, the two names? It was Zimri and Cosby. The na- name of the man, his was Zimri. The name of the woman, it was Cosby. And you know what's very interesting? When you look at the Hebrew meaning of these two names, when you look at the the, the translation and, and what it means, Zimri actually means my music. What does it mean? My music. And Cosby, the name Cosby, it actually means false or life. Uh, pardon me, lie, not life. It either is lie or false. And so when you put these two together, it means what? False music. The coming of these two together, it means false music. And friends, this is not by chance. This is not just by accident. There are important lessons and that God is trying to teach us in this story from just these two names. False music. You know, friends, music. Music has very much to do with our morals. It can affect us even without having the lyrics there, it can affect us for better or for worse. And we ought to be careful with the type of music that we listen to. Music that is sensual, that has worldly elements to it, we better disregard it straight away. Very much of the modern worldly music out there is just not healthy for our souls today. And you know, we're not going to do an in-depth study into music. We don't have that time and nor is this the platform or the place to do that. But it's just interesting that God would warn us about the type of music that we listen to. Even if you take out the the lyrics, okay, you don't have the words there. Many people think that music in itself, like instrumental music, it doesn't matter what it is. There's no morals to it. It doesn't affect you for good or bad. It's not good or bad. There's There's no morality attached with it. But friends, that's not true. That is not true. We ought to be so careful with the type of music that we behold, right? Not just the lyrics. Lyrics are important as well, yes. We must have good Christian lyrics, but at the same time, we've got to make sure that that music and its beat and the structure of that music is good as well. You know, friends, it can lead a man to defile their marriage covenant and make and that they make with their wives or make a young man to commit fornication. We need to take note of all these things about its applications, its implications to our lives as well. I mean, even if you go and read the chapter in Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, we are also warned about music. Even the pagan king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he understood the importance of music, that every time his music was to be played, 
Then after that, he would ask everyone to bow down and worship his golden image. And so music has very much to do with worship, friends. And if those of the world can understand it, how much more us who are Christians, who understand the importance of being faithful to God and making sure that we have good morals and good characters, even the world, they understand about music. And you see, friends, that, that in Daniel chapter 3, the music, it was repeated four times. Four times. And coming back to Numbers 25, what did it lead up to? What did it lead all the way to? So, you know, they, they weren't just eating together, but while they were eating, there was music that was being played and it was affecting their emotions, affecting their hearts and their thoughts. And all of a sudden, these women were jumping to bed with these Israelite men. And one of the great sins of the last days, in the times that even today that we're living in, is that of fornication. This is the power that a woman can have over a man if they give themselves over to the service of Satan. Look at what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. And when you look at the context of that chapter, it's talking about a harlot woman. And many have been tempted. Many have fallen because of this sin. Even many great men in the Bible have stumbled and fallen as well. Let's look at a few examples of this. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 to 4. 2 Samuel 11, 2 to 4. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elim, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And then she returned to her house. So King David, looking down from his palace, would see this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, and he would commit adultery with her. And not just that, he would, Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men in his army who was fighting a battle off in a foreign land, and he would kill him. He would commit murder just to try to keep all this a secret. Let's go to another example. Judges chapter 16 and verse 1. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Samson, the strongest man that ever lived, but yet he was one of the weakest ever morally. And it was because of his love for woman, strange woman, that eventually he lost his eyes, um, lost his strength, and his eyes were plucked out. And he was just a sight to behold. He was mocked by the Philistines. And eventually he would ask God one last time for his strength to, to avenge himself of the Philistines and for his eyes and his strength. But it should not have been that way had he been faithful, had he been kept clean and pure from these women that were tempting him all the time. Yes, Samson. Another one. 
First Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, of course, apart from Christ. But We had Samson, the strongest man physically, and then Solomon, the wisest man, and yet he had so many wives and concubines. He thought that he could convert them all. He could outsmart them all. But no, eventually, they turned his heart away from God. And he would end up from the worship of God to bowing down to all their pagan idols and worshiping their gods. Solomon, wisest man, but yet weak morally as well. Another one, Genesis 39, verses 7 to 9, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, my master, what is not what is with me in the house? And he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph, he was a, he was, he was a faithful man in the house of Potiphar, and yet Satan would throw the temptation of adultery at Joseph. And he would run. He would be successful. He would flee and run away from her presence, although he made the mistake of leaving his coat behind and eventually Potiphar would come back and throw him into prison. The devil has always tried to destroy men's life with all these sensualness, all the sins of the flesh. And my brothers, we got to be so careful. We got to stay on guard. Joseph would end up in prison because he refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife. You know, friends, There is no doubt that Satan is still on the ground, tempting many men to sin with this temptation. What happened to the Israelites is just a foreshadowing of what would happen in our time as well. Paul reminds us of this fact. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. The Bible tells us this. Now all these things happened unto them, for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You know, Paul was writing here that what happened to the Israelites is a warning, is is a type of foreshadowing of what will come. Satan, his temptations, they'll, they'll come up again to try to make us to fall and to stumble and to come short of heavenly Canaan, from complaining and murmuring all the way to fornication and even adultery. Friends, we see all of this in our day today. And even in Christ's day, he would address this same sin as well. It was that important that it bore mentioning from the Son of God himself. Look at this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. 
Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Friends, if it wasn't so serious, Jesus would not have had to take it a step further from what we actually think of today. Not the very act, but yes, many people today are committing adultery in their hearts. Their hearts are burning with lust for women that they see on the internet, on their phones, from a distance, even in person, some even in church. Many are still committing adultery and defiling the marriage bed, but even many more are doing it in their hearts, friends. So we have to be so careful. The sin of pornography is so prevalent today. Lusting after a woman in your heart, and you, a man thinks of all these horrible and evil thoughts in his heart just by looking at pictures on the internet. And not just men, but even women, they are doing this as well. Many are caught up with this sexual sin, this sexual vice. And it's so easy today with the advancement of the internet being available everywhere that our internet is portable now. Before, it was just stuck on the computer at home, but now it's just everywhere. And this sin is so hard to resist. Sure, we might not be committing the actual act in the flesh with another person, but Jesus says, this is just as bad as if we have done it. And you know, friends, you don't need to go to all these X-rated sites nowadays. All, All you need to do is go onto Facebook and Instagram and even TikTok, and people are posting themselves pictures of themselves, and they're half naked or scantily clad, and, and just to what? To garner more followers. Friends, we have to be so careful with our eyes and what we choose to behold because it forms all these pictures in our minds. You know, you know, we say that a picture tells a thousand words. It really does. And those pictures ingrained in our minds, they are not soon forgotten. We need to be so careful. But what else does the Bible say about us being adulterers and adulteresses? Look at what we, it says in James chapter 4 and verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So another way that we are adulterers, that we commit adultery, is our friendship with the world. We want to have the world and we want to have Jesus at the same time. But anyone will tell you that in a relationship, that is not possible. It's not possible to love God and love the world at the same time. Just as much as it is impossible to have two wives and say that you love them just the same. Our hearts are divided and that's, that's the same when we try to love God and love the world together. Eventually, one will win over. And more often than not, it is the world that wins. Why? Because the more time we spend in the world, it replaces our time with God and We lose the the desire and the taste and the relish for spiritual things and sooner rather than later, even just going to church, especially opening the Bible, it just becomes a chore. It becomes a burden and we do not desire it. But friends, what does Paul advise us to do? How can we overcome this vice, this sin, this friendship with the world? 
what can we do? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, the Bible says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What does the Bible say, friends? We have to flee fornication. Just like Joseph ran from part of his wife, he didn't care about the consequences. He did not want to sin against God. He did not want to, to break the Potiphar's trust in what he had given to him. He wanted to be a man of integrity. And not just that, the, the text tells us that when we f- commit fornication, we sin against our own body. You know, other, other sins, when we lie, we, we hurt other people. When we steal, we hurt other people. They, they lost something. But when we commit adultery, when we commit fornication, we are hurting ourselves. We are hurting our own bodies. We got to be so careful. So what else should we do? Job 31 verse 1. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You know, friends, we have to make a covenant, a promise with our eyes that we would not look upon anything that would make us to think of impure thoughts. That means at the beginning of every day, we're going to make this covenant. We're going to make this promise. We're going to make this plea and cry for help to God to help us to keep this promise. Every day, we're going to ask God to help us, to cleanse us from the filth of this world and the things that we've let into our heart that we would cleanse all those thoughts and pictures and movies all away and it would help us to be clean. We need to make a covenant. We need to make a firm decision just like Daniel did in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. He made a firm decision that even as a young man, he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat or drink his wine. And so friends, it's so important that every day we make a firm decision and we bow in God in prayer and say, bow to God in prayer and ask him to help us. God, please help me today to remain pure. Help me today with my eyes. Help me that I might even make the changes that have to be made just so that I would not go on to looking on these impure sights and pictures and all these things. But friends, before we do all of this, what must we do? Before, before we would be even willing to make a covenant with our eyes, what has to happen? Because you see, many of us, we don't think it's bad. Even doctors recommend that some, some young men, they, they masturbate once a week or things like that. They, 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 they think it's a good act, you know. But before we get to all of this, what must happen? Before we would even desire spiritual things and, and hate the things of this world, what must happen, friends? You see, we're told in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What do we have to do? We have to keep our heart. We have to protect our heart. We have to protect our mind. This is the source from which our bodies will be affected. So we must keep it with all diligence. If there is anything that we must do, is to work to train our minds to stay healthy. It is the brain, our minds, our hearts, not just our bodies and our muscles. That's all good, but the most important is our mind. We've got to surround it with good things. We've got to make sure that on our phones there are no, there's nothing there that leads us and tempts us all the way to sin. But even then, what else? Proverbs 23 and verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink 
saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. As we think in our hearts, it will affect our whole life. So we must be careful to what we allow into our minds, what we dwell upon. If it's impure, then our hearts and our minds and our bodies will become impure. But if we dwell on that which is pure, that which is holy, that which is good, that's the law of God, that's His Word, then our hearts and our minds and our lives and our bodies will be pure, will be good, will be holy. Friends, we have to fill it with light from God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, we have to gird up our minds. We've got to protect it. We've got to bind it up. We have to prepare each day how we're going to nourish not just our bodies so that we can be healthy and fit, right? Especially for those that maybe you've gained some weight. You start thinking, okay, now I've got to figure out how I'm going to Uh, do this diet and and, and change what needs to be changed. If a person's been diagnosed with high cholesterol, which I have been recently, oh, we've got to change your diet, right? You've got to change how many times you're eating. You've got to start exercising more. There's all these changes, and so with the mind. If we've been going down this path and this, this way of impure thoughts all the time, and we've been committing fornication and adultery in our hearts, then we've got to ask God, help me to gird up my mind. Help me prepare each day what I should do, how to nourish my mind, what I should fill it with, what I should chew on each day and dwell upon, right? And friends, what is that? We know that already. Psalms 119 verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee, Friends, we have to fill it with God's Word. There is nothing better than filling our hearts and minds with God's Word. This is what will give us pure thoughts. This will help us to make us better men and women. This is what will help us to be righteous and holy, to desire even more of the spiritual things and the pure things and the good and honest thoughts. Friends, only as we allow God to change our minds, then do we become better prepared to resist temptation when it springs up, especially unexpected, to the point that we are able to successfully apply what Paul tells us to do here in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, what? Every thought, do you see that? To the obedience of Christ. If we are able to fill our minds with good and holy things, we're praying for the Holy Spirit, for us to walk with Christ every day, then we will be able to push against all those horrible imaginations and thoughts that sometimes just spring up from our past experiences and histories of what we've exposed ourselves to. And it says we have to bring every thought into captivity. We've got to capture it. And we've got to imprison it. We've got to throw it out. Do you see that? We've got to cast down every imagination and every high thing that goes against God. Friends, this requires supernatural help. It does. It only comes with putting God in our hearts. So many people have tried to resist against the sins of the flesh. And we tell ourselves, okay, you know, because we feel remorseful when these things happen, but 
Friends, feelings of remorse is not enough. We need Jesus. We need his help. We need a change of heart. To tell a worldling, someone who doesn't love Jesus, that they have to give up their bad habits, they're going to change this and change that, not only would be it an impossible mission, but they wouldn't desire it. Many of us, we don't desire the purity of a heart that is made clean from his word. We don't desire a pure life. We don't desire a pure mind or pure thoughts. The desire is not there. And you know, when suggestions are put forward and the effort has to be made, it's like, I can't do this, I can't do that. We, We resist and we reject against it. Why? Because the desire is not even in our hearts to begin with. Friends, God wants to put his word there first. He wants to give us a desire and a taste for spiritual things. He wants to make us men and women who are full of faith, the faith of Jesus, and without a spot from the world or a speck. And so the word comes down again to us today in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, let's not deceive ourselves thinking that we can go living on in this life with all the secret vices, with all our secret sins, that we can keep living the same way that we've been living in the past. No, friends. God wants us to change. Even though you might have been successfully keeping it secret from your family, from your loved ones, from your spouses, surely God sees. And one day, we'll reap that which we have sown. Not just in the flesh physically when a body is wracked with disease, but even eternal life, we're going to come short of friends. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that when we sin, any sin, we sin against ourselves, yes, we're we're keeping ourselves out of the kingdom of heaven, but especially when it comes to fornication, when it comes to adultery, we even sin against our own bodies. May God help us to resist the devil today to resist his temptations. May God God help us to, to desire spiritual things, especially his word, that we might learn to hide his word right here, right here. Friends, my message is always the same. Will you not take God's word more seriously? Will you not spend more time in it? Spend more time in prayer? Will you not make God's law the apple of your eyes? Why not put him first, last, and best in everything and see the joy that he'll give you? See the the, the meaningful life that he'll give you. See a life that is fully satisfied in Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you to spend more time in the Word. I want to challenge you to spend more time reading it, dissecting it, eating it, May God give each and every one of us a deeper desire for his word 
especially in this coming week. Why not take that time today, friends? Take that time. Treasure up the rich treasures of His Word and see how He will make you more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you new desires. He'll give you new purposes. He'll give you new motive. And He will give you a new calling in your life as well. May God help each and every one of us to strive against sin, but to strive to walk with Christ each and every day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you for the story and the warning that comes down to our day today. Help us, Lord, to flee fornication. Help us to guard our hearts and our minds with your word. Help us, Lord, to really understand what it means to walk with you just like Enoch did of old. Father, please, give us a true and real relationship with you today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us that truly we might learn to be overcomers through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive us when we sin, but Lord, you want to keep us from sin as well. You don't want to just justify us, but you want to sanctify us as well to make us pure and clean to be used as a fit vessel for you. And so, Lord, please bless my dear brothers and sisters and anyone out there who is struggling with this secret vices and sins. May you give them the victory that they so desire today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thanks for joining us once again. May God bless each and every one of you. And in this next week, until we meet again, may you be found walking still closer to Jesus Christ. God bless and goodbye for now. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.